So we are very happy to welcome Dr. Yuho Akunen to Oxford today. Uh, I know Yuho as a family demographer. Uh, first time I met him was in a conference on the dynamics of uh, divorce in the UK. He quickly published that paper, but I'm, five years later I'm still working on mine <laughs> just this morning, so he's a much more efficient person than I am. Yuho um, is now a research fellow at Stockholm University. Uh, he obtained his PhD from the uh, European University Institute in Florence uh, in 2007. Uh, where he worked with uh, Jakob Dronkers on a thesis entitled Jobless Couple in Europe, Comparative Studies with Longitudinal Data. After his PhD, Yuho worked for two years as a postdoc at uh, the Department of Sociology at Yale University. Uh, he's now back in Europe, working in Stockholm uh, in a demography group called a SPADE which stands for Social Policy and Family Dynamics in Europe. He has very wide-ranging research interests, including labor market, family, demography, and so on. And today he's going to talk about uh, prenatal health, educational attainment, and intergenerational inequality. So, there you go. Okay, thank you. I should also mention that I'm uh, both at the demography group and at Sophie in Stockholm. Jana Jonsson doesn't seem to be here, but I'm sure that he would want that as well. <laughs> okay, thanks for inviting me. It's very interesting uh, to be here. Uh, actually, it's the first time I'm in Oxford in 25 years or something. That was, I was somewhat small, a more junior scholar at that time when I was here for the first time. So this is a good time to come back and a good occasion. Uh, as Wing said, I'm, today I'm going to talk about a paper I've been uh, working on with uh, actually three doctors. Who, one, Hande Kaimakchalan, who is a, who's a pediatrician at the Yale School of Medicine, and then Birja Mäki and Anja Taila, who are at the University of Oulu, they are in Finland, and they are also the ones who have been responsible in. in or are now administering the data, the cohort data we're using. And I guess I could say a word, word or two about how this project kind of came about because it's, well actually as you will see, it does have a connection to family demography. It's not maybe so obvious from the title, but it does have a pretty good connection. But it started out from that I, Actually, when I went to Yale, I wanted to start working on on something to do with uh, childhood conditions and how those affect uh, later outcomes and especially educational attainment and uh, and socioeconomic attainment more generally. And uh, then when I was going through the literature and trying to find something that that hasn't been done so often, I actually ran into this data and it had a bunch of stuff on health and I realized that there hadn't been that much research done on on uh, the effects of childhood health. Now of course uh, after I started working with the, with the topic I saw that there, there is much more uh, work done on that than I previously thought but still it's most of that research is also pretty recent. 
So that's basically the the how I got into this, and also since I wasn't like a health demographer by training, I thought that I'd better have some some uh, some people involved who are real experts. So that's how I got Hunter there and the Imperial and Anya later on to the project as well. Okay, so <clears throat> as a brief outline for what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow uh, today. So first I'll discuss a bit of background on the uh, on the recent, rather recent research, especially on the long-term effects of child health and also more generally on the long-term effects of childhood conditions. And uh, then I'm going to talk more specifically about this study, that what we wish to contribute with this study and what we really are looking at and then go through the data, the variables we used and the methods and then uh, results like part one would, where we're looking at the effects of uh, prenatal health on educational attainment and then, look, then our second question is on whether, whether the like, differences in prenatal health conditions, whether they explain any of the differences in educational attainment by class background and by mother's education and also by family structure. As we all know, I'm sure especially, especially here in Oxford, everyone knows how family background has powerful uh, effect on how kids' uh, education and class attainment. So whether health is one pathway that might explain these uh, persistent inequalities. And then in the end, just uh, wrap up and give some conclusions. Just a peek to what we're going to be seeing summary so the two questions first does prenatal health predict educational attainment and the main story is that that not all measures do that some measures are much better than others that there's no you, it's hard to talk about prenatal health as like one factor which which is pretty obvious and even more obvious to a doctor but still, it's good to keep in mind. So, but what we find is that uh, prenatal smoking during pregnancy has a very strong effect on educational attainment. And we also find a significant effect of anemia during pregnancy, but it's, it's weaker, or it's weak, and it's less robust as well across different specifications. And our other measures don't predict after we introduce the controls. <clears throat> and then the second question, whether uh, fetal health explains educational inequalities by family background. Well, for class background and mother's education, the answer is pretty much no. That there's few percent of the variation in kids' education can, can be explained by fetal health. But the family structure, what we and me measured by basically whether the mother is unmarried or not at the time of, uh, time of birth, it explains up to 19%. <clears throat> I'll get to the measures later on in more detail. Okay, to start up with the question of the long arm of early experience. I mean, especially I think in the in, in the last ten years or so on, it's, there seems to be kind of I don't know renaissance or at least increasing interest in the effects of 
early experience and early conditions on uh, on later life conditions in especially I think in economics so James Heckman is obviously the one who's been talking about that for a few years now and stressing the how important it is to look at the very first years and that's where the action actually is and that's where it's in intergenerational inequalities are created as his argument goes and after that there's little or can be done but it's uh, less can be done and it's, it's more expensive to to uh, try to fix the inequalities later in life. Uh, <clears throat> then there's of course like different literatures from, from uh, medicine especially looking at how uh, early life and uh, prenatal, prenatal conditions uh, predict later disease. But there's a famous Parker hypothesis saying that basically predicting the low birth with or showing that how low birth weight children have a uh, higher likelihood of heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, and uh, <clears throat> his argument goes that it's uh, that weak nutrient intake intake in utero is um, heavily exposing factor to these diseases. And then of course in mortality there's the there's rather big literature on early health and living conditions and how that affects mortality. So when we if we uh, go from health outcomes to socioeconomic attainment, that what could be the pathways? I mean, I'm not going to be going through all the different different ways, but some, just to give an idea of how, like, some of the pathways that feature in the literature and could be, could be possible. One uh, has to do with this biological programming, that the Barker hypothesis, for example, what I mentioned is a good example of this, that he claims that, that malnutrition in utero uh, changes metabolism permanently, it kind of programs the fetus to be to be to adapt to this uh, to this condition, which then in the in later life will have uh, effects that that uh, that shape the shape uh, exposure to heart to different circulatory diseases and other different diseases in general, and then also exposure to toxins and infections can affect neurological development that we, I'm sure we all know or have heard of different horror stories about crack babies and others, which would be somewhat uh, uh, extreme ex examples of this. But then another, other pathways could be also that poor health can affect school attendance, that kids who are in poor health, who have chronic health conditions, they might have to skip school, they might have lower, they uh, might have problems in paying attention to teaching and so forth and so forth, which will obviously uh, potentially at least harm their school longer term outcomes. And then it's, but it's also important to understand that this programming lang language sounds pretty deterministic, so there's, uh, these effects can be modified also by partly by genetic factors but that uh, some uh, some that there's the 
big literature now now on how some some genes can shape the effects of uh, environmental exposures and by also by social factors. But for example, if a child is born low birth weight, it can be that the parents pay more attention, put more give more attention to this child and kind of cancel out this uh, original disadvantage that the child may have. So going now to some evidence on what is known about early health and socioeconomic <clears throat> attainment. That I said that this in the recent years there seems to be an increasing interest in, in this issue and that there are uh, two two recent reviews on this. There's a paper by Pallone, which is more like a uh, program statement maybe than a literature review in 2006 in demography, and then by Janet Curry, which just came out a few months ago in the Journal of Economic Literature. And, um, well, they basically both claim that this has, can early health can have at least potentially very important effects which might have been neglected previously. <clears throat> then, like the more, in the empirical literature, there's, there are several papers showing that early health, often defined in various ways, is at least associated with later uh, socioeconomic outcomes. So early health can mean chronic conditions during childhood and adolescence, um, general health measures, and so forth. And then there's also a big literature on the long-term effects of low birth weight. But there are the pure associational uh, studies that show associations between uh, being born low birth weight, usually defined as uh, birth weight less than two and a half kilograms. But then there's also studies that use sibling models, like one by Connolly and Bennett in the ASR 2000, and also other papers that use uh, twin designs. And pretty consistently they find that low birth weight does have an effect on later socioeconomic outcomes. Not all papers find this, and as we will see later on, we don't find that in our paper. But nevertheless, there's a lot of research that reports this, this kind of effects. Then there's <clears throat> some studies that have looked at exposures to epidemics. But exposure, to, well, let's think about the H1N1 of swine flu or what, how it is called. Uh, that's from uh, from an individual point of view. That's can be seen as an exogenous shock in a way. But you can prevent it. At least you can take a vaccine. You can wash your hands. But nevertheless, the whole epidemic is something that an individual has little say about. So this, there are studies which have used the spread of epidemics through, like on the even spread of epidemics through states in the US, for example, to estimate causal effects of exposure to, to uh, flu epidemics uh, during pregnancy. And for example, there's this nice paper by Amund few years ago who estimated the, the long-term effects of a Spanish flu that 
he estimated that exposure to a Spanish flu during the first trimester uh, had an effect of decreasing schooling, like finally attained schooling by five months. And uh, then there's similar results for later few epidemics on the IQ for, from Norway, for example. And similar uh, empirical strategies have been used to estimate the effects of, for example, on radioactivity. But, uh, but Amon and others, again, were looking at exposure to the fallout from Chernobyl in <coughs> Sweden. But where they could map that, where the, where the clown ran down, and they could find with the national registers, they could see that where the parents were living at, at the time. And also, like, very accurately on when the, like, which stage of pregnancy was going on. And they found that between exposure to radioactivity between the 8th and the 25th week had an effect on, uh, on mass test scores of the kids 16 years later. Okay, so that's the literature on, like briefly summarized on how early, early health can affect socioeconomic attainment. But then when we are thinking about, if we're interested in how, whether this early health might also explain any part of the uh, persistences, intergenerational inequalities and the persistences in them, we should, would expect that this, uh, health conditions vary across social groups, that they should be more common, for example, among the less educated or the, those lower in the class, class scheme. So I'm sure you all know that uh, there's pretty strong uh, associations between socioeconomic status and health in adulthood and, and socioeconomic status and mortality. And of course, it's long literature on which way the causality runs. But there's similar one, similar gradients can be, and differences can be found for childhood health. That's for birth weight, gestational age, general health, infant mortality, chronic conditions, etc., etc., accidents. So the basic main finding is that, that basically the poorer kids are also in worse, worse health. And it's also found that some of these gradients widen by age. But if we look at general health, it seems to, the gradient seems to widen by age. But the, gradient, the differences between the poor and the rich kids when they are one is much smaller than when they are 14, for example. But this is, this is the case of general health. When you look at more like by health conditions, there's a somewhat different pattern. But also for some conditions, you can find like a widening gap. So then the question is that does early health play a role in social inheritance? So if we kind of make a picture of this, that is the class structure, and that has an effect on how the kid does at school, but the interest is in whether the pathway goes like this, even though if it doesn't explain everything, but how much it explains obviously of interest. The general finding is that childhood health explains rather little. But I said this is part of a new literature, so there's still a lot to be, uh, lot to be known about this. But the results so far suggest that childhood health explains rather little. <clears throat> okay, so going now to 
asked on it. So basically, we are interested in similar questions. But what we are trying to do differently, first of all, we are focusing on prenatal health only. <clears throat> that there's uh, this, in this review by Janet Curry, she suggested that the prenatal period can be particularly important for longer term outcomes. And in a way, you can think of that as the first environment. So if we're thinking of the effects of environments on, on how, on people's life conditions, that's the very first environment in many ways you can think of. And why we're also focusing on childhood health and not like the broader spectrum, one reason we wanted to specify only on one well-specified uh, stage of childhood, if you call prenatal health. So, that there's, in previous research, there's not always a distinction between early childhood adolescents, <coughs> that they are sometimes used to be interchangeable. So, early health can, in some cases, refer to low birth weight, and in other cases, it can refer to asthma at the age of 14. So we wanted to be much more specific. Um, the other contribution we wanted to make is that <clears throat> we wanted to use a selection of like, clinically defined measures. And we picked measures, I mean, of course, this was predetermined pretty much by what we had in the data. But nevertheless, these, many of these measures are something that are known to have short-term effects, like short-term health effects on infant mortality, on birth weight, general health in <coughs> infancy. And so the question becomes, do they also have long-term effects on educational outcomes? Uh, as, as I mentioned previously, low birth weight is something that is really commonly used. And part of that is that it's kind of an easily accessible uh, measure that there aren't too many data sets in the world where you can actually follow like, proper cohort studies. So, but in many, many studies, you can have some information on birth weight and that because it's generally recorded. But it's also uh, a very general measure of prenatal health. And it's also an outcome of more proximate factors. And it's also, I think, the interpretation of low birth weight is something it's not always so clear that, usually, that often it's uh, interpreted as an effect of uh, low nutrient intake or malnutrition, but it can, be, can result from many other things as well. Uh, and also our measures, if you compare to, the, to uh, these studies that have looked at the Spanish flu, for example, or Chernobyl, that those are kind of unfortunate and major one-time effects, but they are still, but even though flu infections come and go, but they, they still don't affect all cohorts in a similar way, whereas many of these measures that we use are kind of, uh, are much more common than, than these epidemics and major disasters. And also what we, what we uh, want to contribute is to look at like a broader conceptualization of family background at birth. So often when the <clears throat> many studies have looked at family background, they might use uh, social class or uh, maternal or parental education, or they can use uh, incomes depending on, of course, what's available, but 
taste of it. But we know from the, uh, the adult mortality literature and adult uh, SES health literature that these aren't actually interchangeable. So some social class might affect some health conditions, whereas education affects others. And then we also look at family structure. So, and because, because of the fact that these different measures might affect different health outcomes, <coughs> these health outcomes also might play a different role in explaining the uh, inequalities in education by these background measures. So I'm just going to go through pretty briefly uh, our measures and what is known. First of all, smoking during pregnancy. And I'm sure you all know that there's a lot of research on that. And, and a lot of research obviously says that it's harmful. <clears throat> that there are some which, of course, uh, question the causality of this. But, but at least at the associational level, uh, kids whose mothers smoke during, smoke during pregnancy are doing worse. And the literature also finds a dose-response relationship. So the more you smoke, the less or the worse the outcomes. And also importantly for timing effects that when I said that the inf for the infections it seemed that uh, exposure in the first trimester seemed to be the most harmful. For smoking the second and third trimesters seem uh, particularly sensitive. Then we also look at mother's obesity. We all know that obesity rates are increasing and again at the associational level it relates to negative birth outcomes, negative infant health, and so on. But there's pretty much nothing known about the long-term effects. Anemia, first of all, is pretty common. And it relates clearly to adverse both maternal and infant health. And there's also uh, research on adverse long-term effects of anemia in infancy, especially from research from the developing countries. Of Another common uh, health condition during pregnancy are hypertensive disorders, which limit amount of blood to the fetus and are also uh, associated with negative outcomes. And preeclampsia here being especially harmful. Maternal depression, anxiety, and stress. Again, short-term outcomes, negative, but little is known about what, is, what are the long-term implications. And then early and continuous prenatal health, so whether mothers go and receive uh, prenatal care from an early stage has been shown to be associated with kids' outcomes. Okay, so going to our data now. <clears throat> the, it's a cohort study from Northern Finland, which started in 1966. So looking at the map, it's basically the blue area here in Finland it's very north, the Arctic Circle is here, Santa Claus lives pretty much here. <laughs> we don't know if there's any kids from that, but nevertheless, that this is the area where the data uh, uh, were collected from. And they, they targeted the whole population born in 1966, and they got pretty much 97% of those births. And then, like, original, uh, sample was just more than 12,000 cases. And then they've been followed up first at the age of one, then 
adolescence, mid-teens, then at the age of 22, at the age of 31, and now they're collecting with 41. We are looking at the uh, follow-up of 31 years. That's really, I think there's 8,000 variables. So there's a lot to, a lot to look at. And many, many relate to smaller, smaller samples, so not, not uh, all the variables are for the 12,000 cases, but nevertheless. And it's a combination of surveys, medical records, and national registers, like surveys from, for the mothers, for the kids later on, for the uh, medical personnel, medical records from hospitals, and then the population registers. Our sample has been more than eight and a half thousand kids, and it consisted of those kids that we could, we had uh, the, educa the educational attainment at the age of 31. And of course, there's the question of how much this is uh, selected. We compare the birth weights and gestational ages of these of our sample to the original sample, or all births, including also those who uh, died at a young age. And there wasn't our kids were, I think, 40 grams heavier on average. But there's also the very light ones from the original sample that many of them haven't survived. But then there were, <clears throat> was the missing variable problem, or missing cases problem in any case, but we had almost half of our cases had at least one variable with missing cases. So for this we used multiple imputations to, to try to fill in these, the problems caused by this. This might not, we, if the, uh, the missing data, if it's not missing at random, then we might not be able to correct for this. We try to include all the uh, necessary information for predicting in the prediction equations, but of course we can't be totally sure whether we're successful or not. So the dependent variable we're using is educational attainment. <clears throat> As said, it's at the age of 31 and linked from national registers, and it has four levels. The first is the compulsory education, nine years, and after that the kids could either cho choose the vocational track, which usually meant that they got 10 to 11 years of edu education in total, or the academic track, which meant that they got 12 years. And after that they could, from the academic track you can continue to university, and from both of these you can con get a lower tertiary degree. So that we had we ended up taking uh, five different levels of education from what we found, found in the data. Okay, going to the prenatal health variables. So, I ran through the, uh, through the measures we're going to use, and here just shows what are our cutoff points. Most of these are just dummy variables or categorical variables, what we use. So we use for obesity, the common cutoff point. For anemia during pregnancy, again a common cutoff point. And anemia during pregnancy means that anemia at any time during pregnancy. Otherwise, we could, would have had too many, too small cells. Hypertensive disorders, we dis uh, distinguish between chronic pregnancy-induced and preeclampsia. And the latter two should be the ones which are, which should be the problematic cases. Uh, then we measured. Mater mother's antenatal depression, 
whether they were depressed or very depressed during pregnancy through self-reports. Mother smoking, but as I said, that the, that the neurological literature suggests that there's a dose-response relationship and a timing effect. So with the available information, we uh, made three dummies. So the reference group being no smoking, and then the first group is being that someone who smoked less than 10 cigarettes daily but quit during the first trimester. And then someone who smoked less than 10 cigarettes daily but continued through a pregnancy. And then someone who smoked more, 10 or more cigarettes at the beginning but con and continued through, throughout pregnancy. But the heavy smokers, none of them quit. And most of them, if they reduced, they didn't reduce much. Uh, that much, so they want actually they want many who started off with more than ten and reduced to less than ten. And then we also have a measure of visit to uh, first visit to prenatal clinic, whether it was during the first trimester. And then as birth outcome measures, we use preterm birth and small for gestational age. This is different from uh, the normal measure of low birth weight because normal measure as said is less than two and a half kilograms but that usually mixes up pre or prematurity with uh, low growth according to <coughs> low growth in gestation so we use the pretty strict measure of less than two or someone who was weighed actually more than two standard deviation below uh, mean birth weight for gestational age. For family background, we used, first of all, social class, according to a dominance principle. We had unskilled working, skilled working farmer, low and higher professional. Mother's education. This educational variable is different than the educational outcome attainment variable because in Finland there was an educational reform in between and family structure at birth, whether the mother was married or unmarried. This, of course, that I think this is a good proxy for, given that it's 1966, there weren't too many mothers who were co or people who were cohabiting, especially in Northern Finland, and even less having births. So basically, these are long mothers. Then we have a bunch of control variables, sex of kid, mother's age, parity order, attitudes to self-provision, somewhat ad hoc, but we wanted to include that as well. And whether the pregnancy was wanted, unwanted, or wanted later. <clears throat> and how we analyze, go on analyzing this, so we, because we treat the uh, educational attainment variable as an ordered variable, we use ordered logic models. And since it's multiply imputed, we use the appropriate prefixes in data for that. And then we predict the probabilities for that to see whether how strong these effects actually are. And we compared these results to OLS models and they gave pretty robust results. And for prenatal health and intergenerational inequalities, we basically did the usual of where you have the gross effects and then you control for the prenatal health things. But since in a logic model you can't just compare the compare the normal estimates, so we compare the wide standardized estimates, which are comparable across different models. Okay, time is flying, so let's go to the results. First of all, effects of prenatal health, educational attainment. 
these are basically just the uh, audit logic estimates from a bivariate model where there's nothing controlled between the different health variables and educational attainment. <coughs> I mean, it's hard to interpret how strong these are, but it's enough to say at this point that many of these are uh, significant. What is not significant is small for gestational age. We also tried low birth weight, not significant. But many of the others are, clear, are significant, and often at a much higher level than 5% one. Now when we control for, <clears throat> for family background and then the other control variables, Again, as I said, I mean, these can't be directly compared in size to the other first, uh, first estimates. But what we can see that actually there aren't many that remain significant. Smoking remains significant. Anemia remains significant. And for smoking, what is interesting is that whether if the mom quit, that's not significant. If she continued smoking, it's significant with the dose-response relationship. And here's pretty much the same thing when we control for all the education, uh, prenatal health variables, except anemia is not significant. <coughs> so when we go, like, think of how uh, strong these effects actually are. So we predicted some probabilities for, I mean, here I'm just comparing those who didn't smoke, the mothers who didn't smoke, to the heavy smokers. And it's pretty clear that you can see quite some differences here. That, for example, those, the moms, uh, the moms who didn't smoke, their kids, like 10% of them were predicted to uh, finish their schooling after the nine compulsory years. Whereas the same level is 15% for women who smoke, were heavy smokers during pregnancy. And at the other end, for university, it, they clearly, the kids of heavy smokers are less likely to be, uh, get a university education. So, um, you'd say that these are pretty strong effect, that if, if there's a 50% 50, 50 higher chance that the kids of heavy smokers only get compulsory education compared to the non-smokers, that's, I would say, a big effect. If we look at anemia, much smaller effects. That they are often not significant, and are the differences are in the, in the range of a, a percent, percentage point or something like that. So what we found: so prenatal smoking is especially can have bad effects on kids' education. So do, do any of these? Uh, explain intergenerational inequality. So if we start off with, I'll just show like briefly some class gradients in this fetal health thing. I mean, there's a lot of bars, but the main point is that this is kind of going up the class ladder. So in many cases, you do see pretty clear differences by, uh, by class background in the <clears throat> fetal health measures, this being odds ratios, and it's a gradient like especially for depression. For smoking, it bounces a bit up and down, but nevertheless, the, uh, the, the un those from un the unskilled working class seem to be smoking much more. And uh, actually, farmers 
farmers' wives in this case seem to be smoking very little. But anyway, we can see uh, class differences in the in the health measures. Do we do this explain any of our uh, of the class inequalities in education? These are percent. How many percent these different measures explain of the class uh, inequalities in educational attainment when we compare the Y standardized coefficients? As we can see, quite little. For farmers, actually, it's the only case where it does explain a bit more. But even there, it's only 5% of the very, the difference in educational attainment is explained by, basically by smoking. Then when we look at education, like we can see pretty similar that there are differences. Differences in smoking as well. But then, do this explain any of the differences in educational attainment of the of the kids, basically no, 5% max. Then when we go to family structure, here measured by whether the mother was married or not at birth. I first of all, here the scale is runs from, the ratio ratios from 1 to 1.8. And here the scale runs from 1 to 7. So you can see pretty big differences, especially in depression. The unmarried mothers were six times more likely to be depressed during pregnancy. Then when we look at the other measures, they were also much more likely to smoke. If we look at the those who continue, three and a half times more likely to continue smoking, at least less than 10 and four and a half times more likely to be heavy smokers. And also differences in preterm birth, that they were two, twice as likely to give preterm birth. So we would expect that, that in this case, prenatal health has bigger effect on explaining the educational inequalities, and it does. But if we just look at anemia, even that seems to explain two to three percent, but smoking alone, explains 12% of these differences. And if we include all the health variables, even though they weren't uh, <clears throat> significant, but the gaps are still so big that when we count them all up, they uh, explain up to 19%. But what we should, I think, here remember, like especially look at this, how much uh, smoking only explains of the difference in educational attainment between kids who were born to married versus unmarried mothers. Okay, going to the conclusions now. So, as has been pretty clear that uh, prenatal smoking is bad. It can have a long-term, I mean, it's known for many other outcomes, and it clearly can have a strong effect on educational attainment. And what is interesting here is that this, we also find a dose-response relationship and a timing effect, which is pretty consistent with what neurological research tells us about the sensitive times or sensitive uh, or sensitivity to nicotine and other toxins in tobacco. Uh, then also anemia had an effect, but it was less, it was weaker and less robust. 
and other measures, they didn't predict education. But we should remember that these measures are known to be associated with, uh, with shorter-term outcomes, birth outcomes, infant health, childhood health, and so forth. So they could have had an effect. I mean, there's no reason why they, in a way, it's, it's uh, a priori, it's, you can't say that there's no way they would have an effect. And what is it, like, given existing literature, what is interesting is that birth weight and prematurity weren't significant. And, like, one conclusion from all this is that specific conditions seem to matter. So, I mean, in a way, it's, it shouldn't be big news, but it's pretty self-evident, but it's good to keep in mind. Not all prenatal health conditions are equal. <coughs> And what comes to how much they explain intergenerational inequalities or intergenerational inheritance, <coughs> if, we, if we look at class background or education or mother's education, but explain a major share of inequalities by family structure. So family background measures matter as well. Okay, obviously we have quite a bunch of limitations here. One concerns that we can't say whether this is causal. And we have a bunch of control variables. We also try different combinations of control variables. Some variables, control variables, uh, took away the effects of some health measures, whereas others took away the effects of others. But nevertheless, I mean, we don't know whether this is causal, even though we might want to think so. And uh, <clears throat> and of course, we have a lot of there are a lot of measures that we couldn't include, like drinking during pregnancy, or well, in 1966, drug use during pregnancy. I guess well, 1966. Well, Northern Finland was peripheric enough, not there. And um, and of course, like in 1966, unmarried motherhood was pretty rare. So as we saw that they were very different in terms of depression and so on, that they smoked much more, that they obviously were much more of a select group in 1966 than they are now. And also because actually we, our estimates, like our combination of any possibly causal effects and then all the selection bias that we are not able to control for, of course, it could be that the selection bias behind that is the one that is, that is explaining the family structure differences in education as well. We don't know by now. And, but that said, saying that unmarried motherhood still was rare and now things would be different, obviously things now would be different, but still it is the case actually that if you look at unpartnered women, that they do differ in many respects that in, uh, in smoking and drinking behavior and many others, and mental health. So they are still, in many ways, uh, more disadvantaged than, than partnered mothers, whether they are married or, or otherwise in a steady relationship. And what is also important is that social differences in many prenatal health measures seem to have increased. So we, there's not, actually, it's hard to find data on any like long-term trends on, uh, for example, 
smoking during pregnancy by uh, class background. But what it, but but uh, the data I've managed to, or studies I've managed to find that they do show that actually the decreases in smoking, for example, are much have been much faster in the better among better educated women, and that I mean that's known, but it also affects smoking during pregnancy, but also many other prenatal health measures, the social differences <laughs> seem to have been increasing in many cases. And of course you see differences across countries as well, which is good to keep in mind. So as uh, even though the many prenatal health might not explain many of these family background differences, but given that these gaps might be widening, they might actually become more important in, uh, in uh, trying to understand stand social inequalities and intergenerational inequalities. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much.